right, thank you, Luke, and praise team for taking us before God with that praise and worship. That's awesome. I'm eager to get into today's teaching. We're going to be again in Acts 17, where we're landing all this month. But I got a couple of personal things that I need to share you that are going to be evident soon anyway. So I'm going to share three personal things since I'm already taking time to share some personal things. So the first one is um, in on February 1st. That's in a couple of weeks. I'm going to be having hip replacement surgery. So I know, you know, I've always been young in whatever arena I'm in until now. Like I was, I was old. I, once I got old as a youth minister, I became a preacher and I was young for a preacher, right? I'm not so much anymore, but I learned I'm young again. I'm young for a hip replacement. So I'm feeling like it's good to be young again, you know, but anyway, they've been, both of them are going to be replaced this year. So I hit my deductible once. So the three weeks of February, I've got preachers lined up that I'm very excited about. I've got David Fraze, who we know and love from down in Lubbock. He's coming up for two weeks. And then one of our new members, Ben Hayes, right here that you don't know, but you're going to get to know. And I'm excited for you to hear from him as well. So I'm grateful for these guys. Uh, We'll get to hear from them while I'm recovering. Hopefully all things go well. I've talked to my buddies who've had the same surgery with the same doctor. So uh, three weeks is a pretty good guess that I should, should be back in action. Uh, the second one is my mom. A lot of you ask about my mom, and it's ongoing, so I don't, I'm not always talking about it, but, you know, she has basically lost her memory. She's over in memory care at, uh, at a place, and, um, and I just wanted to update you that she's pretty healthy. Uh, she's been in hospice care for about a year now, which has been great for her because that's all about comfort, and it's like her quality of life kind of went up once it was all about her comfort. And um, so anyway, just keep her in your prayers. She's it, with, with the memory stuff. It's, you know, a lot of you have dealt with this. It's a long goodbye. And so uh, she is getting weaker physically. She falls some. She hasn't, praise God, broken anything because going to the hospital would just be horrible for her. So yes, keep her in your prayers for me and Craig and our family. We are just trying to give her as many moments as we can. That's because that's she forgets them pretty quick. But yesterday I did go in, and, and it's been a while since she's remembered my name. But she saw me, and she goes, there's Brian. And it just oh, felt so good, you know. So that was great. So keep her in your prayers. And then the last thing is tomorrow, Carrie and I are going to Mexico to visit my daughter, who many of you know, Callie, is on a little missionary a six-month mission post down in Hidalgo, Mexico. And so uh, I can't wait to see that space. Carrie's seen it when she moved her there, but I haven't gotten to see it, just getting the reports. Some of you are helping her financially to be there, so thank you for that. So we get to go visit for a few days and see this space where she is feeling very useful and very used, and I'm excited about that. So covet your prayers for all of those things. Thank you um, so much uh, for your love and your care for me and my family. Okay, so I have always loved Mark chapter 1 because you kind of get, you don't have to turn there, but you kind of get a day in the, a whole day, a 24-hour period of counting in the life of Jesus. It starts in the morning and goes to early the next morning. So just briefly, Jesus is in Capernaum, kind of a home base for him, and and it's Sabbath, it's Sabbath day. So it's like our, it's his Saturday, but it's like our Sunday. And he goes to synagogue, goes to church for him. That's synagogue. And he teaches a Bible class or he preaches, okay, with authority. 
It's noticeably different than other teachers. Then someone in the crowd's heckling him. That ends up to be a guy that's like possessed by a demon. So he casts that demon out. Then after church, he goes over to his buddies, Peter and Andrew's house. Peter's mother-in-law is there. She's sick. So Jesus heals her. Now, all of this isn't just happening in a vacuum. It's spreading. His teaching with authority, his delivering of someone from evil, his healing of someone, it is spreading throughout Capernaum and maybe a little bit farther in that region. So people start bringing all of their sick to the house, okay? And so it says, till after dark, I don't know how late it went, you know, but till after dark, he's healing and casting out demons. And then, and then we get this little gem. I don't know if he just stayed awake or if he took a little nap and got up, but this is what happens the next morning. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, this is his reply, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. Why, Jesus? That is why I have come. So it finishes that he traveled throughout Galilee. Doing what? Why he had come to preach to preach the good news. That's why he was there. That's what strikes me here. What strikes me here is the tension that lots of Christians and churches and ministers and elderships feel, right? That there is the demand of the people who Jesus already has their attention and their needs. There's legitimate needs there, healing, evil to be destroyed and to be combated. There's, there's growth to be maintained. But Jesus has another demand that he's reminded of when he goes and prays early in the morning. He has a mission that includes healing. It includes kingdom bringing in that way, but it includes something else too. And that's telling the good news. It's preaching is the word used here. That's why he came. So he didn't go back to the mega church that was forming there in Capernaum. He went to the other towns also to preach the good news to them. And we also need to remember this, that part of the mission of Jesus is proclaiming that good news to people who don't have their attention on Jesus yet. So he left the group that he had the attention of. He travels throughout Galilee to all the villages to get the attention of others. On what? Him. On him. Jesus was sharing Jesus, the good news. Matthew, over in Matthew's book, he moves this story forward. I know it's a different accounting, but this is where he is traveling. And we get in this scene, he's in one of those places and the crowds are gathering and we get a look into the inner thoughts of Jesus, how he sees this world that he's traveling and sharing this good news. He says this in Matthew 9, starting verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, so he's still doing that, teaching in their synagogues, just like he did over in Capernaum, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. See, he's doing, he's doing both. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Pray. Ask, to the, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out 
workers into his harvest field. So what I want you to notice here, there's so much great stuff here, but I want you to notice that when he sees crowds, he sees something. What do you see when you see crowds? Usually it's inconvenient. You don't want crowds. I walk outside. It's right in time for Bonham to get out of school. I walk right back inside. I'm going to wait till the crowd's gone. we, We see crowds. We see inconvenience a lot, maybe other things. But Jesus sees people. He sees people when he sees crowd. Not only, not only does he see people, he sees people just trying to make it. But they're aimless. That's what he means by sheep without a shepherd. They're just trying to make it on their own. And he wells up. It provokes him. It moves him. He feels about it deeply. He feels compassion for them. He sees those people who need something. They need him. I mean, he's there preaching the good news of the kingdom. And in this instance, he doesn't turn to his followers and say, okay, guys, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. We're going to have to double up. We're going to have to stay up late. We're going to have to work overtime. Let's go. No, he said, that won't, we won't meet this need that way. We need more work. Get on your knees right now. We need more workers. And I like to think, I've always liked to think that when a church pauses and does what we're doing now, We very intentionally want to turn our eyes out without stopping the healing and the growing and the spiritual warfare that we do for each other. But we add the part of the mission, why we are here too, to share the good news of Jesus with people who haven't heard about him yet. That we are an answer to that little ministry team's prayer. That Jesus, God is still answering the prayer of his son and the prayer of those first disciples with you. And with me, and he's making us into workers. We're in the middle, again, of this study in chapter 17 of the book of Acts. And the reason I've picked it, and we're dedicating a few weeks to it, is because it's a story, a pretty detailed story of successful evangelism. And that's what we want, right? We want to we succeed when we share Jesus. That's our heart's desire. And it begins with Paul finding himself in Athens... But it's where it ends that has gotten my attention back on it. About 16, 18 verses, a whole series of events we're going to be looking at the next three weeks of moves that Paul makes, what he thinks, what he feels, how he sees the world, what he says. We're going to look at all that the next few weeks. But it's the end result of the story that makes me want to study it. Verse 34, at the end of the chapter, a few people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. See, this text to me is about Damaris and Dionysius. A few others too, but these two names, these two people, right there. That's the climax of the story. You know, you're building up. All the details are leading up to the end. This is what happened. These guys were attracted to and then believed in Jesus. So whatever Paul did, to join God in co-creating that result. I want to know. And I believe the Holy Spirit put this in detail in Scripture while it has relevance to what happened then and to the first people that were written there. We believe the Holy Spirit inspired this and that there is something universal, something that works for us too. And so I'm spending this time looking for those things. What is transferable from what Paul did to join God at work for his Dionysius and Damaris in Athens to, for us to also consider. 
And maybe we get to join God at work in our Dionysius, our Damaris here in Amarillo is at the end of the story, becoming our brother or sister in Christ. So there's three, at least three kind of general moves that I see him making. We'll look at the next two, the next couple of weeks, but it starts in verse 16. And it just says this. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. All right, pause right here. First thing I want to point out is that Athens was not on the mission trip itinerary, right? Like he is on a mission trip, but he's just coming from Berea with Silas and Timothy, I believe. And, and he gets in some trouble there. He gets smuggled out of Berea because he's going to get killed. Okay, and so they smuggle him, they plant him at Athens, and he's waiting there for Silas and Timothy to catch up so they can go on to Corinth, all right? And what strikes me about this is, is I'm interested because this is a true as-you-go story. It, this wasn't part of the plan. This wasn't, he didn't intentionally go to Athens for the mission. He just finds himself in Athens, but instead, instead, what do I mean by as you go? So the Great Commission, you know, that's at the centerpiece of why we share Jesus. Is it's Jesus says, he gives his disciples their marching orders. He dies, he's resurrected, he has the meeting he told them he would have with them after he resurrected. He's got their attention and he says, go and make disciples. And so this is part of that, is that in, the go is the intentional part. It's, it's on our minds, it's a priority of ours as followers of Jesus, as churches of Jesus, okay? And so it's an intention thing, but it doesn't have to be a mission trip. Like, it doesn't have to be that. Like, if you and I packed up and we went over to India and we joined our buddy over there, David, and we started doing ministry over there, we're thinking we're going to the mission field. To those Christians we're working with, we're just at their home. Right? This is just their home. Well, you have a home too. This is the mission field too. So you are in the mission field. You are a located missionary and you can go without going anywhere. It's an intention. It's an as you go type thing. And I love that here. This is just while Paul was waiting. He didn't do what I would do. I mean, I've got an itinerary, right? I would sit it in Athens at my version of Starbucks and get a coffee I'd pull out my version of the iPhone and flip around on there, maybe check Facebook, you know, maybe check my email. I would do that till my buddies got here so we can get going. Not Paul. Paul's there and he sees constantly. It's like he doesn't have an off switch. He sees with spiritual eyes. He sees with gospel eyes. And he notices what's going on wherever he is, what's going on spiritually. He was paying attention to the spiritual landscape of wherever he was. And he was assessing the spiritual situation of the people there. That, because he cares about this. Do you do that? As you go, do you, do you have an off switch? Turn it on when you're here, but when you go out there, does it get turned off? I want you to think about that. Think about dismantling your off switch. And always being available, always having your gospel glasses on and seeing things through spiritual mind. So the result, the result for Paul is he noticed that the city was full of idols and he was greatly distressed. Okay, he, I looked up the word, it means provoked or stirred, okay, or greatly distressed. <laughs> it, it, he, he, it moved him. He didn't just walk by it. Now, in Athens, there were literal idols, right? There were altars to these 
gods, there were idols, there's made of silver and gold and stone. And, and, but I guarantee you, not everybody walking through Athens is noticing deeper the spiritual thing that those things represent. Paul was, everybody else just probably walking by there. These things are just invisible to them because it's just part of the Greek landscape in Athens, but not him. He saw deeper. He saw the spiritual underpinnings connected to those and the people around him that are oblivious. And he greatly distressed him. I decided I'd give this a try. I decided I'd drive just, just a, a loop. I just went out our parking lot, went down, you know, 34th, I mean, 45th to, to what is that over there? It's Coulter, then around Hillside, and then Western, and then back to here. And I decided to take pictures. Decided to have gospel glasses and see if I can see spiritual underpinnings. And I took these pictures. Maybe this isn't just a bank. Maybe this is an altar to, that we have built in our society to people's worship of money. Maybe this isn't just restaurant row. There's several of those I passed. Maybe it's an altar to, that we've built our society to the worship of food. And not just food, but the food we want. The choice of sustenance. We want to be recreational as we eat, not just sustained. Maybe this isn't just a place to find a tasty refreshment, but an altar we've built to the worship of mind-altering substances that can even become an addiction. Maybe these aren't just places to be healthy, but the altars we built to the worship of body image. Maybe this isn't just a library, but an altar to people searching for meaning in a host of ideas or subjects or knowledge. Maybe this is an altar to the worship of consumerism. Maybe this is an altar to the worship of sex, real close to here. Maybe this is an altar to materialism or storing up in barns. Look, I'm not saying everything's evil. It's not, okay? Money, food, exercise, knowledge, sex, choices, stuff, None of it is evil in and of itself, but any of it, any of it, for sheep without guidance, without a shepherd, can become an idol, can become your life. And maybe just like those Athenians, we just drive right by. We don't even notice those idols. We don't understand the spiritual underpinnings. We're not distressed. That's what happened with Paul in Athens. He cared. Like Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he was provoked. He was stirred. And he had compassion for these people. They were like sheep without a shepherd, without a God, but surrounded by countless God options. Countless God options. Any of them could, at a minimum, distract them from the true God and from life as it was intended. At worst, it can decimate them by the lesser stories that those gods invite them into. And that's to say nothing of eternity that our faith says is in the balance on who we worship, on who we surrender to, on who we believe and receive, on what we believe and receive. Do you care about this stuff? Do you care? I'm not asking you to feel guilty. Convicted? Fine. Don't, no, no need for guilt. Jesus paid for the guilt. You're forgiven, but are you engaged? Are you fully alive? It's inconvenient to care. It's really inconvenient to care. 
because we act on things that provoke us. When Paul was greatly distressed, he didn't just sit down and get his coffee and play on his iPhone like I would, waiting for my buddies, calling it rest. Nope, he had compassion for them. He cared. So it's a legit question that we need to consider. Do we see the spiritual landscape that we're in, or are we dull to it? Are we spiritually blind to what's around us? Are we numb? Is it just okay? It's just okay. Do we not grieve anymore? Maybe we never have. Ministry, this begins with a provoked heart. It's only the provoked heart that will do this. It's the only one that cares. It's the only one that sees. It's horribly inconvenient. But that's the beginning of ministry. If our hearts are not disturbed, if our hearts are not disturbable, we will not act. Even when our church puts a banner up and plans things to try to make it easier for us to be riled up into the mission. So when you walk in your classroom, when you walk in your dorm, when you walk in your place of work, maybe even when you walk in your church, when you walk in your family reunions, when you visit or move to a new city, when you're on vacation, even when you're sitting at lunch with someone, it's time to pay attention, to note the spiritual situation going on, to be interested in that person's life, in, the, in that group's life, or in this city's life. But just know, if you decide to do this, if you decide to be willing to be disturbable, you'll care. And if you care, you'll act. It'll ruin your life in the best possible way. You'll act. Paul acted. Paul did walk with these spiritual eyes as he went, and he was disturbable. So, whenever you see so in Scripture, you want to pay attention to that. It says so. He reasoned in, here's what he did. And this is one more, the the last thing I really want to put before you today as a challenge for you. It says, so, he sees that, he sees the idols, he's greatly disturbed. So, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So, his, 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 so, his, Reaction when he's inconvenienced and he gets up out of Starbucks, he puts his phone away, he goes to two places. He goes to church, synagogue, and he goes to the marketplace, the world. And what I like about this one verse here is that it seems like Paul knew how to engage both. Like he knew how to speak to people in both sacred spaces and in secular spaces. It's like I'm calling him spiritually bilingual. He's familiar with the Jews. He knows how to go to the Jews and, and he has studied and he knows God and he, he, he talks to them. He knows how to show them how scripture points to Jesus. But then, and we won't get into his speech today, we'll get into that next week, but he goes to the marketplace and he knows how to engage with them, meet them where they're at and, and build a bridge to Jesus. He can speak both. So there, there are people in here that I believe are really, really comfortable in the marketplace. You know, current events or politics or social issues or, you know, financial markets or business principles or school district policy or technology or sports or whatever. You know, something out there in the marketplace, you can hang with anyone. You crush marketplace. But you might be one that says, yeah, but 
you know, I, I don't really know as much Bible as maybe other people do or as you do, or, you know, I, I don't really do that. I'm not sure I could share Jesus competently with those people that I interact with in the marketplace if it came down to that. I'm totally at home in the marketplace, but I'm not as comfortable in this Christian world over here and the Christian vocabulary. And then there's others who are really, really comfortable in the Christian world, really comfortable at church or comfortable among Christians and in church settings. They do worship, they do Bible studies, service projects, special classes, retreats. They're totally cultured by and comfortable with Christians, but maybe they're uncomfortable, just don't have context to, or reason to interact with anyone outside of their Christian circle. They just don't have really that. It is likely that every single Christian, if they're going to do this, needs to be at a minimum competent at both. You don't have to be gifted, just competent at both. Because of our call to evangelism, we need to at least be competent, willing in both these. So if you're engaged in the marketplace, okay, if that's you, whatever your niche is, if you're a Christian there, you might need to up your game in knowing how to bring Jesus and speak Jesus into that space. That might need to be something you don't have to do this tomorrow. You need to do it this year. You need to up your game in getting to know God, in knowing Christ, in knowing Scripture. You need to up your game in knowing how to, what is the good news that you live by? You know, what is it? And, and how does it work? And how does it work for you? And you know how to engage in that as well. And I don't want you to fall in the trap of my gift isn't to share like that. I just live the gospel, right? I just, I'm out in the marketplace and I just show the gospel want you to do that. There's many of you that need to learn how to do that. But some of you, that's what you do. But I want you to just ask, if Paul went to the marketplace and he just lived the gospel, he, he didn't lie out there and he, he had some transactions in the marketplace full of integrity and he didn't cheat anybody and maybe he dropped some coins into a beggar's cup and he bought someone's lunch or their coffee, just all in the name of Christ. But he never spoke the name of Christ as the reason would it have resulted in the end of the chapter with Dionysius and Damaris becoming his brother and sister in Christ? So if you crash, you crush marketplace, you might need to up your game on the Christian side of things. On the flip side, you may be totally engaged in church. You may be crushing your spiritual life, not marketplace, but your spiritual life, your growth, you're deeply embedded in relationships, iron, sharp and iron relationships. This is good. You read and know your Bible. You listen to podcasts when you have spare time. You know the pros and cons of different translations of the Bible. Maybe even you teach here at church and we need you to. You're comfortable and you found a sweet spot of kingdom impact among the body. It's good. But this year, don't have to do this tomorrow. Doesn't all have to be accomplished tomorrow. But this year, maybe you need to up your game in marketplace. Maybe, maybe God needs you out there somewhere. You need to take on a hobby, go someplace that you don't normally go, join a group that you don't normally associate with. Doesn't have to be a burden. You can love it. But get out there among the people in our Athens. As we continue into this year where we want to turn our eyes to the world that God loves so much and share Jesus, I want you to ask yourself this year, what might God be calling you to do as he calls you 
to preach the gospel? Is he calling you to get into your Christianity more so that you can bring Christ into the world where you are already in, that you are already in? Or is he calling you to get into the world more so he can use you and your love for all things Jesus, not just in here, please in here, but also out there? You want to learn how? At least a starting point to learn how? Got good news for you. We have an event, March 2nd and 3rd. Line of departure. And registration is now open online. You can just go online. Some of you already have. I've gotten the thing. Some of you have already signed up. We would love for you to sign up for this. It's going to be that Saturday from 9 to 5. And then we'll have an, a bonus session after worship. After you go to lunch, you'll come back uh, at 145. We'll have one more session. We're still getting the details of, of where and, and how we're going to do child care. But we are going to have child care if you need it. Just sign up for all that online and we will meet that need as well. This is our year. It's our year to turn our eyes to the mission field, to take care of each other without doing anything to neglect each other. We want to share Jesus with people out there who need him because we're stirred. We care. Everyone worships something. But one thing that's worship, and it's a person is what will bring them life and healing. That's what we want to share. So let me ask our praise team come up here, our elders and ministers to move around the room and the balcony if you need to respond in any way. But one more thing. It may be more basic for you than, yeah, am I spiritually bilingual? Do I need to work on this? Do I need... Maybe you're a whiz. Maybe you're like Paul. You can, you, you can you, some of you can. You you can manhandle any conversation in here. And you can manhandle any conversation out there. You're, you're widely competent in those things. So maybe for you, it's just that you need to care again. Or maybe for the first time, you need to be inconveniencable, disturbable about the spiritual landscape we're in. And you need to have compassion enough on those crowds to use that spiritual bilingual gift to share Jesus with your Dionysius with your demerits. I can't wait to meet them this year. I can't wait to see them decide to follow Jesus, to be baptized, to become part of this body, and for them to join us in this mission and in this family. I can't wait to meet them. Can't wait to know their names too. Let's stand and let's praise this God who's done this for the world and let you join him in this mission.